Like I said, my name's Luke, and I'm one of the pastors here at Elam, and it's actually my great privilege and, and pleasure to work with so many amazing people to make Elam Young Adults uh, happen. So before we get started, I just want to take a second, I want to ask if you are involved in Elam Young Adults in any way, if you're part of our team, whether it's through welcoming or whether it's through being on stage or whether it's part of our planning teams or our lead team, would you just please stand up for a second? Can you please stand up? Can we bring up just the house lights just a little bit, Maddie? And uh, I just want you guys to see, great, here it comes. Can we give these guys and girls some love this, tonight? That's awesome. Thank you so much. You guys can be seated and you can bring the lights back down. It's awesome. And we've got an amazing tech team back there and up there, and it just all works together to, to make an amazing night. Like I said, if you're new, welcome. Uh, Elam Young Adults, we strive to be generous, growing, and grace-filled. We focus on Jesus, we focus on worship, and we focus on friendship and having fun. And so I hope that you find a place to belong. Um, before we kick off our new uh, series, I, I want to just tell you uh, how excited I am for this year. I know I've said that already, but I was, I, was, I was meeting with somebody today and we were just talking about how in kind of all areas right now we see God moving. Even, even in ways that we don't necessarily think of. Some of the struggles and some of the things that have been going on in, in my life and my family's life and, and even in our church family. And I know many of you who come from different churches and different places. I know there's stuff that doesn't seem like it's going well, but I feel like God is moving. And even though January is technically the new year, we kind of all know that September is the real new year. And so I'm excited. And so I want to get right into it now. Uh, this fall, we're going to be doing a new series and it's called Check Your Heart. Now, it's a series based on a survey result we did in the spring, if you were with us. We surveyed 110 of you, and we asked a bunch of questions, and one of the things we gave you a chance to do was just ask a question of, what do you want to hear preached about? What are the topics that are pertinent to you? And overwhelmingly, you guys and girls put down relationships of some form. Some of you just wanted to meet a girl or meet a boy. I can't help you with that. I can give you some tips but it's been a while, I'm a little rusty, but hey, I'm married, so can't do everything wrong. But here we are, and the series is called Check Your Heart, and really our focus of it is discovering God's intention for your relationships. And over the next number of months, we're going to be covering the scope of relationships in many different ways, and these are, these are some of the things we're going to be covering on the screen here. What to expect. Tonight, we've got kayaks and canoes. We're going to be talking about singleness tonight and what that means. Next week, we're going to talk about dating, and I've titled it, Can't Touch This. All the, all the good Christians get that. The week after that, we're going to do, we're going to, we actually have a couple coming in, that, they're the Kasdorfs, and she is a clinical psychologist with the Saskatoon Public School Division, and she's going to be talking about the effects of porn and what it does to relationships. Her and her husband are going to be up here on stage, and there's going to be a text-in question time. Then we're going to talk about engagement, and I've entitled that one, Still Can't Touch This. <laughs> Then we're going to talk about marriage. Now what? Now that you're married, you know, you, you've made it. What does that mean? We're going to, then we're going to be talking about why boundaries matter. I'm going to open the gate, what it means to, to let the bad stuff out and the good stuff in, but keeping yourself safe in relationships. Then, I, then we're going to do one called Jesus Take the Wheel. And I'm going to be talking about kids, family, and the future. And my wife and I are in the throes of toddlerhood right now. That's why it's called Jesus Take the Wheel, because we don't know what we're doing. 
And then we're going to do the paper herd around the world. It's all about how to fight a good fight. Now, please don't Google that. I want that to be a surprise. So don't Google the paper herd around the world. It's really lame, but it, it goes really well with my sermon, so don't. And then the final one we're going to be kind of just capping off December with is a discussion on LGBTQ plus and relationships, what we're missing in the church, what that looks like, and that was kind of the second big thing that came up in that survey was you guys wanted us to talk about that, and so we're going to touch on that in the scope of what it means to be in relationship with each other, what it means to be in relationship with God. And so we've got a really amazing fall laid out. I hope that it speaks to you. I hope that God speaks through kind of what he's given me and some of the other speakers, and uh, it's going to be a challenging one. So I'm excited to go on this journey with you. Now, this series is called Check Your Heart because what I hope is I hope that throughout this series that no matter what stage of life we're talking about, even if you're not there, even if maybe you never think you will be there or maybe you've chosen to never be there, um, that there will be truths to pull out and there'll be opportunities for you to check your heart. Does anyone know who John Christ is? Yeah, okay. Uh, he's, he, no, he's not here. A bunch of people were asking me. It's not. Um, so you might be wondering why I have some, some watercraft on the stage with me tonight. And I'm going to tell you why, and I'm going to explain it in a second. But first, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story of when I was a little bit younger. I grew up in southern British Columbia. Many of you who've been here before know that. And I grew up near a town called Kootenai Lake. Kootenai Lake was a couple hours from us, and it, it's a huge lake. It's over 100 miles long, and it's very narrow. It's glacier-fed, and it's an amazing fishing place. And so my family owned a fishing boat, and so we would go up there on weekends and different times, and we would fish. Um, now, before you're sitting there, you think, oh, Luke had a fishing boat growing up. This was like, it had three-inch shag carpet in it. It was not, like, it was cool, but it wasn't nice at all. Like, the place where you showered was also the place that there was the toilet. So you could go to the bathroom and shower at the same time. On a boat. Check it out. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. So we were out one time and we were fishing, and that lake is really prone to really big storms because it's so long and narrow. And the wind and the storms can settle into the valley and they can really be a problem. And so my dad and I were out fishing one day and we were a long way from the marina and we were having a good day but we could see that a storm was rolling in but we weren't too worried about it until the storm reached us and we realized that we were in really big trouble. Uh, the, the waves were probably somewhere five to six feet tall. They were white capping. It was really hard and the only place we could stop the boat is at the marina. So we headed back home knowing that it was going to be a few hours of just really slow going and just getting battered by waves. And so as we were going back to the marina, we saw something off in the distance. And we couldn't really tell what it was because by that time the storm clouds had rolled in. It was, it was getting pretty dark. The waves were huge. The boat was pitching and yawing all over the place and we, had, we couldn't see anything. But I could see something in the distance and so we decided to tr kind of head towards it because we didn't know what it was. And as we got closer, what we realized is it was a man in a kayak. And he was in his kayak, except the kayak was full of water. And I don't know if you know this, but kayaks actually have, they tend to have bladders on either end. Sometimes they're styrofoam, sometimes it's air. But basically it's so that if you fill with water, your boat will still float, sort of. And he was in the water and he was fighting to get back to shore. And so we managed to get up next to him and we managed to help him onto our boat. 
And like I said, that lake is glacier fed, so he was near hypothermic. Uh, his gear was strewn everywhere. It was just a really bad scene. So we pulled him into the boat, and we pulled the kayak onto the boat. We managed to get it emptied with water, and we got going back. And so we asked him the question, what were you thinking? And a very typical story. He had gone out, was having a nice day, and just didn't realize the storm was coming. And when the, by, the storm had, by the time the storm had gotten to him, it was too late. And he was swamped. And he was so thankful that we had stopped and picked him up. But something really stuck in my mind that day, what he said to me. He said that, Luke, I think, I, I normally take out my canoe when I'm fishing on this lake. And he said, I'm so thankful I didn't today because I think if I would have had my canoe, I probably would have died because his canoe would have sunk. And that has always stuck in my head, just the gravity of the situation. You, know, you see those in, in movies and TV sometimes, but, but it made me think, and as I was preparing for tonight, it made me think about the differences between kayaks and canoes. And it kind of sounds silly, but I want to just talk about it for a second. And kayaks are nimble. Uh, they're easy to carry. They're vastly cheaper than canoes are. Uh, a really expensive kayak doesn't even compare to a really expensive canoe. But canoes, on the other hand, they carry much more weight. Uh, they tip over more easily, if you've ever been in a canoe. And they're better with two people. And it kind of reminds me of relationships. It reminds me that being single is kind of like being a kayak. You know, it's easier to move around. It's easier to kind of do what you want. It's easier to navigate. It's nimble. And it's quite a bit cheaper than being in a relationship. <laughs> you know, but being in a relationship is kind of like a canoe. You know, you're, you're able to carry your heavier load and deal with more complex issues together. In some ways, you're able to go far, further depending on the circumstances you know, it doesn't really work great with one person, kind of like a relationship. Even though there's people today, I don't know if you know this, that are declaring that they're marrying themselves in our very narcissistic culture. But in a relationship, generally, it's better to have two people. And the other thing is, is just like a canoe, uh, you're kind of trusting the other person not to go crazy and flip you out. And it's kind of like a relationship. But what I want you to hear tonight as we talk about singleness and what it means kind of in the grand scheme of our faith and in life is this truth, that both of these things get you where you want to go. The truth is, is if you, if you need to get across a body of water and you had to choose between a kayak and a canoe, either one would work. You would get there maybe a little bit differently, and maybe it wouldn't suit exactly what you wanted in the moment, but they both accomplish the same goal. And the reason why I tell you that is because I want you to hear something tonight, and I want it to cut through, is that you're not going to miss out on life because you're not in a relationship. I want you to stop worrying so much. And I know that's easy to say when I stand up here and I'm A, a preacher, and B, I'm married. But hear me out, I was single once too. And I know that the idea of being in a relationship is very nice. And I know that in a lot of ways, it would be so great to hold hands with someone and smooch with someone, and that's it. 
You know, and it's fun to go on dates with somebody. But I want you to hear something, that if you think that God can't use you because you're single, you are grossly misinformed. And this is probably one of the things that the church preaches on the most when they talk about singleness, is the fact that if you want to serve, singleness is an amazing way to do that. But I just want to say that that's stupid. And the reason why I say that is because if you are relying on your singleness to serve God well, then you're going to miss out on a lot of God when you do get into a relationship. It's not about serving so much when you're single to make up for what you don't do when you're married or when you're in a relationship. And so I want you to hear tonight that God can use you because you're single, not just in spite of it. There are fundamental differences about being in a relationship and not being in a relationship. And I mean, it sounds very obvious. It sounds very obvious. I mean, obviously, you're not with somebody else, so you're kind of allowed to do your own thing. But I want you to understand that just like a canoe and just like a kayak, just because you're paddling in one or rowing in the other doesn't mean that you're any less or better off than anybody else. And you might be thinking, but Pastor Luke, I've read 1 Corinthians and I know what Paul says about this, and you're right, I did my homework. In chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, Paul does say in verse 38, so the person who marries his fiance does well. Cool. But then he says, and the person who doesn't marry is even better. So you might be thinking, well, there you go. Because maybe there's people here tonight that are like, you know what, I wear my singleness as a badge of honor, and I applaud you for that, and I think that's awesome, and you should, but you shouldn't think that you're better. In the same way, you shouldn't think you're worse because you're not in a relationship. Because Paul actually says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, just a little bit earlier, that, be, that because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. So Paul sets up this paradigm that being single is good and being in a relationship is good, especially because human beings need that companionship. And what Paul talks about is almost explicitly sexually, and we'll get to that in another sermon, but for tonight, I want you to see that Paul is really the only person in the New Testament to set it up quite this way. But what we see in the New Testament is we see that Jesus was single. And One of my favorite quotes is by a man named Dan Spader who wrote a book called Four Chair Discipling. And what he writes in it is that if you listen and only abide to the words that Jesus said and don't look at what Jesus did, you're missing out on more than half of the gospel. You see, when we watch what Jesus did and when we watch how Jesus lived his life, we see how to live our lives. It's not just what he said, but it's what he did. And Jesus chose singleness. And so there's a beauty in that. And so I want you to hear tonight again that God will use you regardless of your relationship status. And so what I want to say to you is this. If you're paddling around in this kayak and you're in that stage of life where you are alone in a kayak and you're aimlessly paddling around until you find a partner to transfer into the canoe, check your heart. Like I said, the purpose of these two things is the same. It's to get you across the water. And being in a relationship and being single may have different qualities, but their purpose is the same. 
It's to move you toward God. It's to move you toward God. That's really all that it is. You see, we get, we get so focused on this life of what we have and what we don't have and what we should have, and really what it comes down to is it doesn't matter about any of those things. What it matters is that everything that we have and everything that we experience is meant to point us and to push us farther and closer towards our Heavenly Father, to be more like His Son, Jesus. Because the issue here is not commitment, it's contentment. And you might be sitting here tonight and you, you might be single. And if you're single, that's fine. If you're single and bitter, I want, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Because if, if you're struggling with being single, if you're struggling with what it means to serve God and to live life without having somebody else to help define you, you will almost certainly fall into one of these two camps. The first is that you, yourself, have a commitment issue. And what I mean by that is not that maybe you have struggle or you struggle committing, although that might be the case, it might manifest itself in different ways, like it's just hard to settle down. Every time you're with somebody, you just feel like you're missing out on the whole world around you. You know, or, or you're worried that the person that you're with is, is maybe not the right person, or you're worried that any number of things. Maybe it's a little bit more narcissistic. Maybe you think that, no one's good enough for you. And, and let me be honest with you guys. I'm not single anymore, but I remember being single and I struggled with some of this stuff too. I went through a phase of my life where I definitely fell into the second camp that I'm about to describe, but there was also a time in my life where I fell into this first camp where I just was so worried that I was going to miss out. I was so worried I was going to miss out on what life had to offer or what other women had to offer me or, or maybe that this person maybe wasn't good enough for me or something like that. And it was horrible. And I hate the fact that I felt that way, but I'm human. But the other camp that people fall into is this idea that other people have a commitment issue. <laughs> maybe you're at a place in your life where you're ready to date. Maybe you're standing there and you're like, I'll take anybody, God. <laughs> like, I'm good to go. Hook me up. I mean, nobody's too bad for me. Like, I get that. I know what it's like to be in the middle of the night and just be like, man, I just want somebody. And, but you just think, you look around, you go on a couple dates and the girl's not into it and you think she's flaky. The guy doesn't call you back and you think he's a jerk. And you put all of this internal turmoil in, onto other people and you say it's all their fault. And so the problem with this is when you struggle with your singleness, when you struggle with the place that you're at in your life, one of two things happen. Either you internally implode or you explode all over everybody else. And if you're here tonight and your singleness causes you bitterness, or maybe you're upset about it, maybe you're anxious about it, maybe you feel like your clock is ticking, Maybe you feel sad or distraught or melancholic because you're not in a relationship. I want you to hear that the issue is not about commitment. It's about contentment. Because listen, when we say to God that the current stage of life that I'm in is not good enough, what you're communicating to him is that what he's provided you is not sufficient. You see, when you look at yourself and you say, at this stage in my life, in my singleness, God, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm done with this. And you let that control you. You say to God, I don't trust you. 
Now listen, you might be here tonight and you might not be single. You might be dating, you might be engaged, you might be married, you might be divorced. There might be something in your life right now that you're sitting in this place. Maybe you struggle with same-sex attraction. Maybe you have something else going on inside of you that no one else knows about. But I want you to hear tonight that no matter where you are, when you look at your situation and you say to God, I don't want to be here anymore, you communicate to him that you don't trust his plan and his process. We are all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. I know I'm guilty of that. There's times even now I look at my life and I question God. And I go, God, I don't want this right now. I want something more. I want something bigger. I want something better. And he tells me, do you not trust me? You have a lesson to learn here, my son. And so we check our hearts. We check our hearts against what we know to be true, against what we're feeling, because we know that feelings are fleeting. And really, we see this in what James writes. In James' first chapter, verses 2 to 6, he writes this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, that's you, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when, you in, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask your generous God. And let me just say, you could put anything in there. If you need a boyfriend, if you feel like you need a girlfriend, if you feel like you need a different job, if you feel like you need a different boss or a different degree or a different opportunity or maybe a different family, it says if you need wisdom, if you need anything, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. And sometimes we stop reading there and we go, great, I've been asking him, but he hasn't been delivering. But we look he says he will not rebuke you for asking. God will, is a gracious God. He lets us come to him and he lets us say whatever we want because he loves us. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. And that's the part that hinges for us. When we look at the stage of life that we're in and we go, God, I'm not content with this. We communicate to God that we don't trust him. And our faith is not in him alone. And James continues and he says, do not waver for a person that, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. And friends, whether you're in a kayak and you're single or you're in a canoe and you're in a relationship, if you are divided and you don't trust God and I don't trust God, we run the risk of capsizing. God wants us to be content regardless of the season of life that we're in because he alone is enough. And I, I, want, I want you to hear something tonight. Kayaks are awesome. Who, who here has been in a kayak before? Okay, a lot of you. Kayaks are so much fun. See, I grew up in BC, and I, I can remember very vividly watching all sorts of things on TV of guys in whitewater rapids and, like, going down rivers and being extreme, and I remember thinking they were so cool, and so I remember I got my first kayak when I was a kid, and I, 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 well, I was kind of fat. It's just, I don't know how else to say it. I was a chunky kid, and so I remember squeezing into my little kayak, and I remember going to the lake and paddling around for half an hour and I thought, 
this is Gucci. I can do anything. So I called my mom and dad, and I called my buddies, and I said, let's go down a river. And my mom and dad were like, no, you're stupid. And I was like, fine. So then I got Daryl and his parents to drive me. And so we got up to the, <laughs> to the head of the river, and as soon as I sat down, I didn't want to be in there anymore. As soon as I got into the river, I didn't want to be there anymore. I thought, I have made a grave error. I am going to die. But when you're like 15, 16 years old and your buddies go, you go, obviously. So I went, and I didn't die because I'm here. But I remember the thing that I was so very excited about so quickly became the thing that I hated, and I didn't want to do it anymore. And I think sometimes that's the way our singleness is. You know, we spend, we come into this life single, we spend most of our elementary school years single, or you should. <laughs> you spend your high school, you should be single, but, you know, some of you are better players than others. I didn't have any girls in high school, because I was fat. <laughs> no, that's not why. It was because I couldn't talk to them very well. And I had really curly, big fro hair. I'll show you a picture one day. But the very thing that I, I was so excited about, you know, being, having friends and doing whatever I wanted, you know, going and playing games and, and dreaming about the future, it was the thing that I started to despise. It was the thing that I started to go, you know what, I actually, I, this thing scares me. I don't want to be in here anymore. I want to go somewhere where it's more safe and the water is a little more calm. But I want... <laughs> But I want you to hear tonight that if you can't be content and you can't find joy in this part of life, you will never find it over here. You see, because it wasn't until a few years later that I got a canoe and I started canoeing and I realized that I didn't like canoeing either. It's so tippy. I'm so big. And it's small. And I just, it felt, it made me feel like I was closed in. And, and I started getting to the point in my life where I was like, I don't like canoes either. So I started dreaming about speedboats and big boats. And friends, that's exactly what happens when we're not content in our singleness. We become ill-content and discontent, rather, in our relationships and we start dreaming of other things. You see, if we can't be content there, we'll never be content here. I'll be honest with you. I went through times in my life where I wasn't content with the relationships I was in and I made stupid choices and I did stupid things so I would bounce back and forth from these two things. And then finally I had a relationship with a woman that I love and I was in this canoe and I was doing life and I was learning but I was still looking around for speedboats because I wasn't yet, I didn't learn how to be content with my situation. And it wasn't until God challenged me on that, and it wasn't until I started to realize that I needed to learn to be content no matter what my circumstance was, or I will always be looking into the future. First Thess Thessalonians 5.16 says this. It says, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And friends, if you and I belong to Christ Jesus, 
then we are called to be thankful and we are called to be joyful. And we are called to be thankful in all circumstances. Because if you don't get being single right, it'll be really hard to get a relationship right. And can I get real with you for a second? I've heard people who are single talk about their future. I'm a young adults pastor. I work with next generation. I work with, you know, like all kind of the, this age. And, and I get it, and I, I've probably said it too, but I've heard young people talk about their soulmate. <laughs> they don't exist. <laughs> There's some people in here that are like, oh no. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> Follow him on Instagram. <laughs> I just want to break down the math for you real quick. There's over 7 billion people on this planet. 7 billion. May I remind you, you live in a country of 35 million. The chances that your soulmate happened to live on this continent that are within your age range, which we all know is half your age plus seven. You can do the math. The chances are extraordinarily slim, extraordinarily slim that if God has put one person on this planet for you to be soulmates with, the likelihood is they're in Asia or India right now. All my Asian and Indian brothers, where are you? <laughs> they're like, no, we're here. <laughs> you know what? I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say that I'm just waiting for my soulmate. I'm just waiting for the person that's coming along. You know, I'm waiting, for, I'm waiting for that person that God's preparing for me. And then I hear really well-intentioned Christians and moms and aunties who pull their little people aside and they say, oh, sweetie, God's just preparing a relationship for you. He's just making it happen. And I want to tell you, that's fake news. That is fake news. <laughs> Friends, God's not preparing a relationship for you. He's preparing you for a relationship. Okay? Can you get that? Can you get that the God is not preparing a relationship for you? There's not this mythical thing out there that's just waiting until one day you happen to stumble across it because let me tell you something. If God is working on that person, you might think, oh, but Luke, he might not be working on my relationship, but he's working on my wife or he's working on my husband. You know, maybe, but the reality is, is if the, you just sit back and wait for it, that person that he's working on is going to come by and they're going to look at you and think, mm-mm, no thank you. God wants you to do the hard work of becoming a person that's worth dating. God wants you to become the person that is worth being with. And that starts with being content with your singleness. And it starts with pouring yourself into your relationship with Jesus. Because let me tell you that the number one thing that God cares about is not your relationship status on Facebook. It's your heart and it's your eternity. And that's what he cares about. And friends, if you're here tonight and you're just thinking, you know what, uh, yeah, that's great, but I'm going to be single forever because I'm forever alone and nobody loves me and there's something fundamentally wrong with me, I want to tell, tell you tonight the statistics are in your favor. There are far more people that get married than don't get married. Here's some information. In 2011, 
It's been a while since Canada. This was the 150-year statistics. They looked at the population over aged 15 and over, which I think 15 is a little young, but whatever. They did that. 47% of them were married. And you might think, well, that's, that's less than half, Luke. That's not working well. But listen, the other 54%, or 53.6, they were unmarried. That just means that they were either never married, but way more likely divorced, separated, or widowed. Only 26% of people now identify as single between the ages of 25 and 29. Only 26%. It tells me that a large portion of the people that are single are single by choice. I get it. You don't believe me. But can I just tell you that in a few years, you will not worry so much. You will not worry because if you're doing the right things and if you're pursuing Christ, then it's not going to matter if you're still single in a couple of years. It's not going to matter because you're going to be able to do things that married people can't. But what I want to tell you is this. Recently, I went out for coffee with uh, a fella from our church and I was sitting and talking with him and we were having a lovely time and he told me that recently he had gone into a boat store and it, just for fun, I guess. And they were looking, and he wandered across some of the big Malibu and Craftsman wakeboard boats. Now, I don't know if you know anything about boating, but in Saskatchewan, we have a lot of lakes, so a lot of people do boat. And you've probably seen these things. They are anywhere from $120,000 to $180,000. $180,000 for a boat. That's insane. But listen, the thing that was amazing to me was that he went into this place and he jokingly asked the salesman, he said, how many guys uh, come in here and finance these boats? And without blinking, the guy said, 100%. 100% of the boats that this man had sold had been to people who were financing them. Now, I'm not here to talk about finances and I'm not here to talk about whether that's a right or wrong thing to do. What I want you to hear is this. Don't put your marriage, don't put your relationship, don't put your singleness, don't put your future on credit. Do the hard work now. You see, we live in a world today that everything can go on credit. Everything. You can get a 20-year mortgage on a boat. You can. It's not a mortgage, it's a boatage. <laughs> you can. You can amortize a boat for 20 years. A How many guys are riding around in 20-year-old wakeboard boats? It's crazy. And friends, we finance everything from cell phones to furniture to appliances. You can finance spa treatments. I am not joking. You can finance an automatic colonoscopy. Uh, I don't know what it does. It <laughs> cleans you, I guess. I went on Google and I typed in weird stuff you can finance. <laughs> Don't do it. It's very strange. But the point is, is you can, you can finance anything. This world we live in says, get it now, pay for it later. Get whatever your heart's desire right now, pay for it later. Anything you want. Get it now, pay for it later. But I want you to know a secret. What the big print giveth, the small print taketh away. Every single time. Every single time when you get something before you have earned it, before you have saved the money, before you deserve it, you will pay more for it later. 
And friends, the exact same thing is true with your relationships. Your future is not credit-based. You don't get to get the things of your future now and not pay for it later. It will come back and get you. And so I want you to hear tonight that the kayak and the canoe have far more in common with each other than they do have anything different. They are essentially the same thing with a slight difference in design. And the same is true as being in a relationship or being single. As a single person, you have way more in common when, than with your, rela- uh, your friends who are in relationships than you think you do. We all serve the same God. We all live on this earth for far too short of a time. We all struggle. We all fight that desire that we're not good enough and that our current circumstances isn't, our current circumstance is not good enough. And so I'm gonna invite the worship team back up here and they're gonna lead us in a closing song. And I want you to hear tonight that at the heart of all of this, and that's really the beauty of it is that we can all pull from it, is that it's about being content. It's about learning how to create those rhythms in your life that you say to God that you, God, are enough for me because God wants us to believe and he wants us to know that his plans are enough, that his presence is enough, and that he is enough. Because if we don't do that, we will struggle whether we're single, dating, engaged, married, separated, widowed, divorced, or any other thing you can be. And I believe that 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8 sums this all up perfectly where Paul writes, God will generously provide all you need. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, he does that so then then you will always have everything you need. But catch this, and plenty left over to share with others. That's the life we want to build. That's the type of person you want to be whether you're riding in a kayak or you're riding in a canoe. You want to be a person that says to God, you are enough for me. And out of that completeness, you pour over into those around you. Let's stand together as we worship. Worship team.